You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hello everybody, welcome to another podcast show in a bit of a slightly new format to what you've probably been used to. Uh, firstly, before we get started, I'd like to draw your attention to a YouTube video that I, a live stream I put up this morning actually, it's responding to feedback, new changes. So I put up some YouTube polls recently on the community tab and asked people for channel feedback, you know, what I was doing with the channel, the podcast, the videos, what was working, what wasn't, etc. And the polls got answered. Thank you very much for everybody who came back with feedback. That was very useful. And what I did was I went over it. I discussed it with people. I took some time to self-reflect. And I did a live stream this morning over about an hour and a half with some live chatters as well, who I was very surprised could turn up literally because I made the stream like 10 minutes before I aired it and uh, discussed exactly what I'm going to do. So I'm not going to go into detail here. Suffice to say, some slight changes to the uh, podcast are going to happen just from a format perspective, hopefully to better the content for you. But for everything else that's happening with my channel, I would highly recommend you check out this uh, live stream. I've timestamped it so you can look at the content that you're interested in, and hopefully you'll find something there. So, on this podcast episode, firstly, how am I doing? Actually, pretty good. That, that aforementioned video that I just said uh, has actually put me on quite a bit of a high. And it's not just because I've been to the gym as well. I, I actually do feel in a good mood because I was kind of like a little bummed out that, oh, I don't know if this is working, this isn't. And then after I did that live stream, I now feel like I can come away with a, a sense of confidence. I feel very uplifted. I think like a Rocky training montage video in the background with me doing like, you know, press ups and that. That's kind of how I feel. Like I'm determined to go forward, move forward and everything's pretty cool. On top of that, though, things in the UK are starting to get a little bit better now. Uh, since mid-April, we've been able to go back to the gym. We've been able to do massage therapy again. We can go outdoors to socialize with friends and even go out for food. Went out for a meal the other day, actually, with three friends of mine. Uh, we normally play on Board Game Arena over lockdown. But then this time we were able to say, you know what? This restaurant outside, 6.45, we're going. And we had a three-course meal, you know, a couple of drinks. A uh, sunny day in Gum Wharf, it was pretty good actually. Got a little bit nippy by the time we got to the end of the day, but uh, when we hit dessert, the uh, sun had gone down a bit. But yeah, overall, that was just really nice to just to get out and socialize a bit without the use of a microphone. And then obviously we have got, I think, nine, ooh, even less than that, even eight days until Monday the 17th, which means that's when indoor socializing in Britain becomes a thing. So from that day, not only will we be able to have a few people around our houses legally, but we'll also be able to go to indoor places and socialize with others legally. You know, there's a restriction of number of six, but that's not too difficult to adhere by. That restriction will go away for outdoors though, but I've already got plans. 17th, I'm gonna to go to my Southampton uh, board game club on the Monday evening, so that's a given. Uh, Tuesday, my Portsmouth Dice Cafe opens up and I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that I've already got a table booked, but I'm hoping that I'll be going there to play War of the Ring. So the one I did the video on recently. So I'll go there, play War of the Ring with a friend of mine. And uh, hopefully I will have learned the rules by then. Because I better not go in completely blind. But yeah, that should be quite a long evening for that one. Because we're going to need every hour we can get. 
But then on Wednesday, uh, my Portsmouth club starts up again. So we've been doing it online all the time, but now I can finally bring people to the Dice Cafe and start actually being up front with people. You know, we can even have hugs now from the 17th. I mean, it's going to be so good. So good to get that. I just cannot wait for that like feeling to finally come back where I can just go to somebody, give them a hug, play some games face-to-face, -face, enjoy a pint of cider or a cup of coffee with people I know and like while playing board games. Oh, it's going to be so, so good. And by then, I might have even had my first vaccination, actually, because uh, I believe in the UK, they're going to start asking the under-40s to come along at some point during this week. So with any luck, maybe tomorrow or Tuesday or something, we'll get a, I'll get a message saying, book it. I will instantly be on the phone or the online website to book it and I'll get it done. So by then I'll probably have my first vax in place. So, you know, here's hoping. But yeah, things are on the up and up, really. Even work's uh, got a little bit um, improved lately. You know, some of the horrible admin stuff is done. You know, now I get on with some better projects and that. So, yeah, like I say, things are pretty cool. So next up on the agenda, right, what have I played? Huh? Wait a minute, that's the agenda? Well, like I say, there's a new format to this podcast now. I've got five clear segments that I want to do on a regular basis, maybe chop and change every now and again. But firstly, I've already mentioned like, how am I doing? Uh, this is now what I've played. So I'm going to go over some games that I've played recently in the last couple of weeks and explain what they are. Uh, the third segment is then some board gaming news and a channel shout out as before. Uh, the fourth one is the topic of the day, which in this case is going to be to do with expansions. We'll get on that later. And the fifth part is what's coming on the channel in terms of like upcoming videos, you know, nice and quick before leaving it there. So you'll notice that all that stuff about channel analytics and stuff that I've discussed in the past, gone. <laughs> so you don't want to hear that kind of stuff, or at least the majority of you don't. So it's gone. You want to discuss that kind of stuff with me, then get in touch with me on my live Q&A sessions, because that's where I'm going to reserve it too. So, what have I played? Well, first one that I've come across, which I didn't know of before, is 13 Clues. 13 Clues released quite a while back, uh, 2016. Well, okay, it feels like a while ago. But this one is not heard of by a lot of people. Uh, DV uh, Glotchy, I believe, is the current person who published this. Although, I wonder if anybody else was involved. Oh, yeah, Cool Money or Not Limited was also involved. And I had never heard of this game. Never. I didn't know what it was, whatever. But on last Wednesday, uh, my friend at from my Portsmouth group, we were on Board Game Arena, and she taught it to me, as well as a couple of others. This is Race to Find Your Unique Set of Three Out of 13 Possible Clues in a Twist on Clue. It's essentially, yeah, a very light card game version of Cluedo. But the cool thing with this is that what happens is it also takes a couple of notches from Hanabi. You know, where you've got cards facing around with you, at, well, facing away from you, sorry, uh, or maybe code 777 might be a better idea. But what happens is there's a bunch of cards with people, locations, and weapons, and they're mixed between male, female, indoor, outdoor, ranged, melee. And the idea is, is that you pick a selection of three for an opponent to have, and then they will do the same, and you'll have cards facing away from you that you can't see that are the ones you've got to identify. And you can see what everybody else has got. And what you do is that you ask everybody questions as to what they can see. So it's like, do you see a pink? How many pink cards do you see? How many green cards? How many male people do you see? How many orange? How many ranged weapons? And on top of this, you can also uh, um, decide to skip your turn and flip over a center card, which allows you to like find out one other piece of information. 
you track everything on a little notepad although we played this on board game arena so this would have been done via the uh, the platform but essentially this is what you would get in the box set and other than that that's essentially the game you basically try to figure out what three cards are in front of you by means of deducing what people can see and what they can't so if somebody says let's say there's three pink cards in the selection and somebody says i can see two pink cards and it's like well i can see two pink cards in front of him but you're saying you can also see two pink cards which means i don't have a pink card in front of me okay so i know i'm not one of these and it's made slightly more complicated by the fact that each of you will also have a couple of cards in your hand that you can see privately. So somebody might say, can you see any yellows? Well, yeah, I can see two yellows. One of them's in front of you and one of them's in my hand. But you don't tell them that it's in your hand. So you gather sort of process of elimination, Cluedo style, deduce what it is. But it's, it's simpler than it sounds. And certainly on the platform, it's pretty simple to use. But I had a kick out of this. I thought this was quite a neat little Cluedo game. Nothing groundbreaking. I'd say 7 out of 10 for first impressions. But I had fun the first time I did it. And this Thursday when I get my friends back on Board Game Arena. I'm going to teach it to them as well. And we'll see how we do. But I just thought it was just a nice light deduction game. And to be honest there's not a lot of them around. I mean Cryptid's a pretty good one I'll admit. But you know unless you want to go all the way up to Sleuth. Or uh, Awkward Guests or Search for Planet X. Although Search for Planet X is relatively lightish but still this is like super light you know not so that oh yeah I'll have two seconds and I can figure it out no you still got to think hard about it but it's enough to just tax your brain a little bit without like completely blowing your mind and the more players you have the more um stuff you select from so it scales with player count uh, we had plenty enough choices for four of us but I think it can go to six players yes six players best with four certainly I can imagine gets pretty complicated with that and a weight rating of 1.93 on board game geek not that I trust that very often but still like I say not too heavy not too light but if you're on board game arena I suggest giving 13 clues a bit of a look it was a lot better than I expected it to be nice little surprise actually I'm surprised it never got more buzz really ranked 2896 on board game geek it's like hmm okay fair enough I get some of my mint tea there okay and then the second thing I have played Arkham Horror the Card Game, The Innsmouth Conspiracy. Now, I've already played The Innsmouth Conspiracy in terms of the deluxe box set. That's not what I'm going by here. I'm going by the, like, the campaign as a whole. I have now finished The Innsmouth Conspiracy campaign. So I've played all the cycle packs, got to the end with uh, Sister Mary and uh, Akachi, I think I took along. Sister Mary is a new one. She's a uh, She's a nun who gets a lot of these bless and curse tokens and they're things that you can put in the chaos bag and certain cards are influenced by them. I quite like Sister Mary. She was quite cool. Akachi is, well, she's Akachi. She's awesome, full stop. But I played through the campaign, all the scenarios, and I gave the deluxe box set a 9 out of 10. I thought it was a very good introduction to the campaign. It had a good story. The scenarios I thought were challenging without being too overpowered. Uh, I thought the new characters were really sweet. Uh, I thought the flashback system where you your the story is disjointed. You don't remember everything that happened. So some scenarios are essentially a flashback but then as you find out stuff from your past you make the chaos bag easier or you kind of unlock these little stretch goals in a sense that affect the campaign and its difficulty i thought it was a neat concept but after finishing the campaign it's not all good there are some really good scenarios in this selection i must admit i think the deluxe box started off on a very high note 
But And there's a couple of other scenarios which I really enjoyed. One of them, which in particular, I think my favorite was, I think it was called Horror in High Gear. It involves you being in a car chase where you're driving away from these uh, cultists that are tracking you down and you've got to stop every now and again or you've got to like choose which route left or right are you going. Um, you might end up taking the long way around. You're trying to reach this lighthouse in the future. It's a cool scenario. One of my favorites and it didn't feel too powerful. Didn't Sorry, didn't feel too difficult. You know, it didn't feel too easy. I thought that was a really good thematic one. It gave me memories of that, uh, what was it called? The Essex County Express from the Dunwich Cycle. That was kind of on a similar note. But the only thing is, the other, the other scenarios are pretty good. I mean, you've got one where you're investigating the lighthouse. You've got one where you're investigating the, uh, uh, I forget who the society is, the Dagon. They, they worship Dagon, uh, the like the fish god, because this is all about the uh, Mur... I keep calling them Murlocs, like out of World of Warcraft, but it's essentially like the fish people. <laughs> so it's all to do with that. And there's one bit of repetition through this uh, campaign, which I'm not a fan of. There is far too much repetition of the whole concept of... I'm going to go into these pits and tunnels and they're going to be laid out in a big row or column and you've got to go through all these tunnels and flip them over at random and they get flooded and stuff. And I like the flooding aspect. That's cool. But a lot of the scenarios rinse and repeat that whole thing. It's like, right, you investigate the house. Oh, this is cool. This is different. Right. Okay, cool. Now go underground. Oh, look, more tunnels. It's like, oh, crying out loud investigate the lighthouse okay cool don't get captured do 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 and then oh look more tunnels and it's just seriously can we not like vary this a little bit but the yeah that that's a minor issue the main issue i had with this campaign which is going to mean that if i play this campaign again i'm going to house rule a couple of things in it about movement is that this is way too harsh on movement there are so many times where you've got to go from one location to another and back again, which takes up your entire turn for the round just to be able to go one location, next location, do your thing. You know, it's like your entire turn is taken up just moving from one place to another. And then on top of that, you've got these keys that turn up. And it's like, if you have cleared this location, get the yellow key. It's like a story item that you need. But the problem is the rules say that the person who controls the key has to be at that location. So you don't do it as a group. So if you flip a location, it says you need the yellow key and the other person is on the other side of the map who has the yellow key. Well, that's a bit harsh. I mean, what am I supposed to do? I've got to waste time for them to come all the way here. Whereas had I said that they're the ones who came here in the first place, they'd be fine. That's too harsh. First house rule, if you have the keys, they're all in everybody's possession. None of this stupid, this investigator controls what key nonsense. You control them as a group. You may spend them as a group. That is the first house rule I would throw in. Otherwise, you're going to have a fit over this. But I think it also needs a thing where you get like a bonus movement every round or something. Because there's just too many locations on a solo or two-player game to cover in this campaign for it to be a, what I believe to be balanced. With three or four players, you're probably at a better odds of success because you can cover more locations. Because it's not like you have less locations with less players, apart from barely in one scenario. For the most part, you get the same amount of locations. So one player has to cover the same amount of ground as four players. No, that's not good. Why doesn't it scale per player? I would say that you need to house rule some setup differences, like say where it tells you to shuffle all the tunnels and then pick them at random. I would say, okay, let's take out the essential ones we need, get the non-essential ones, remove some of them from the game based on player count, and then shuffle them all together. And that way you don't have to cover as much ground. 
that's my kind of flaw with this campaign as a whole. I think story-wise, it's fantastic. It's one of the better stories. I think the flashback system is brilliant, although I must admit to unlock some of those flashbacks requires you to be the most luckiest party in the world on god mode. Like some of them, I just don't know how you would ever unlock some of those flashbacks, but you can get some of them done. And some people might try to play through the campaign a second time determined to unlock that flashback. So they'll be like, right, we're going to go for it. Don't care. We might fail the scenario, but I don't care. I'm unlocking that rotten flashback. Fair enough. That's what you want to do. Fine. But yeah, overall, I like the campaign and I would play it again, but I would tweak a few rules for one or two player, particularly true solo. You will not be able to beat this campaign true solo without some serious movement buffing or a particular a person who's good at movement because otherwise you just will not cover the ground. It's impossible. All right. Fair enough. Right, let's go on to some board gaming news. Uh, board gaming news. Right, not a lot to talk about really, but I'm just going to go over some stuff briefly. The Golden Geek Awards 2020 have been announced. Well, announced the results have been announced and I'm not going to talk much about them at this point because I have done a video to react to them without spoilers. So I'm going to put that up probably tomorrow, probably tomorrow or Tuesday. And then I, you will see my spicy reactions to some of those awards. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. And there'll be some good little moments where you see me kind of self-destruct. So it should be quite a fun video. Now, related to that live stream I mentioned this morning, board game reactions are not going to be a thing anymore. That will be the last board game reaction I do. But it was already recorded. It was already edited. I want to give it to you and let you have fun watching me go nuts. Uh... David Turksey has teamed up with Mind Clash again to do a game called Voidfall. Now, this is supposedly a Euro 4X game with Ian O'Toole doing the artwork. So when it comes to Ian O'Toole, we know that when it comes to like Lisboa, Carbon EV, On Mars, Ian O'Toole knows his stuff. Now, granted, I don't find his artwork that impressive when he's just doing a green background with hexes on Age of Steam and the Ride to Rail stuff. It's like, seriously, how can you mess up the artwork on that? It's not really possible. But in terms of the uh, bigger Euros, the more involved ones, love his artwork. And this cover is pretty decent artwork as well. Uh, look it up if you're listening to this on audio. But it, there's not a huge amount said apart from just the 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 blurb about like you know for centuries so and so descendants of the you know blah 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 you know we'll get to the whole whether this theme is more than just a pasted on thing when it's released but it's mainly a 4x euro game set in space with voidfall taking one to three hours to play uh one to three hours is quite a wide berth i'm a little bit concerned about that is this going to be one of those games that I'm only going to want to play solo or two-player max because three and four-player takes far too long? We shall see. But their description is that Voidfall is a space 4X game that brings the genre to Euro enthusiasts. Well, there's a fair few 4X space games of the Euro enthusiast. I mean, you've got Eclipse. I don't like Eclipse, but you've got Eclipse. It combines attention, player interaction, and deep empire customization of the 4X genre with the resource management, tight decisions, and minimum luck gameplay of an economic Euro. That slightly worries me. Don't make another eclipse, please. I don't want balance your checkbook in space. Uh, win back, win, sorry, by pushing back the Voidborn in the solo co-op mode or by overcoming your rival's influence and restoring the Dominion in the competitive mode. Again, I'm a little bit worried about this because when games have multiple ways to play it, like co-op, semi-co-op, competitive and stuff like that, it's like... Mm, you kind of don't focus enough on one and so you end up with some 
fairly decent or meh scenarios to play rather than just having one awesome way to play. So there's a few little bits here that I'm a little concerned about, but then there's some good stuff about it, like, uh, you know, using uh, variability is ensured not only by multiple playable houses, each with their own strengths and weaknesses, but also by different map setups. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. And like I say, a 4X game, but it is Mind Clash. Mind Clash know what they're doing when it comes to heavy, you know, heavy Euro games. I've already got all their stuff on my shelf, you know, even back Perseverance. So, you know, I'm David Turksey is a good designer as well. He's done some cool stuff. Uh, I've got Anachrony on my shelf after all. And I think I've got to review Blitz style, probably Tywin's Ensue You at some point. But, you know, David Turksey does make some fairly complex games, like a lot of rules to consider, it's particularly with the solo modes, they can be pretty laden with rules. So I'm kind of neutral on this. It's, this should be cool. It's Mind Clash. I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt because it is Mind Clash. They have built up enough of a reputation to win me over. But we shall see what happens as this thing develops. It's expecting a 2021 Kickstarter. Catan has released a new scenario pack, or at least it will be, in July 2021. Apparently, this is one that came out in different languages before called Treasures, Dragons, and Adventurers. It is a special six-scenario uh, pack, which is designed to work with Catan, Catan Cities and Knights, and Catan Seafarers. Problem for me is that I only have Catan and Seafarers and Treasures and, no, Traders and Barbarians. That's the set I've got up there. I'm not the biggest fan of Cities and Knights. Cities and Knights takes the game to a, a complexity level and length level that I'm not as keen on. So I'm not as keen on Cities and Knights. So I can't see myself buying Cities and Knights just to play this. If somebody else has it, I'll gladly play it. But for me, I'm not really going to buy Cities and Knights just off a whim. At least, I don't think I am, especially as I've still got the 4th edition of Catan on my shelf. I don't even have the 5th edition updates. But... Yeah, like I say, if you're a massive fan of Catan, I like Catan, but if you've got like all of Catan and you want more scenarios, then keep an eye out for this. Not entirely sure how, you know, dragons and adventures and treasures are supposed to feature. I mean, how are you going to beat up a dragon? Or is the dragon the new robber? <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the robber coming round versus the dragon burning down your settlements should be interesting, if maybe slightly insane. And finally, Crimes and Capers coming this summer is from Renegade Games. This is a new series of cooperative mystery puzzle games that they're going to do. And basically, it's a, a reimagining of the classic murder mystery party games. And players will take on distinctive roles and need to share information from their personal journals, solve escape room style puzzles, figure out how to unlock more information, and use everything they have uncovered to ultimately solve the overarching mystery. The two that they've announced is uh, one to do with a 1919 uh, estate setting and another one about a 1998 uh, high school hijinks setting. So, well, hmm, I don't know, actually. I mean, the idea of a murder mystery co-op sounds cool, but I mean, this basically just sounds like another co-op escape room game, as if we don't already have a hundred million of those already. So how's this going to be unique? Maybe the fact that you're role-playing and there's a bit more story in them, because to be honest, Escape Tales is the only one that's really managed to come up with a decent story when it comes to its escape room uh, games. So it will be nice to have something maybe a bit more light-hearted, but we shall see, really. I mean, how will this work with more players? Can you play it solo? Are the puzzles going to be interesting? We shall see. I'm not overly excited about escape room games anymore. I've kind of burnt out on the genre. So if you are a fan of it, though, this might be one to come and look out for. Apparently coming out, uh, when is it coming out? Do they say? 
Not to my knowledge. Oh, coming this summer. So uh, keep an eye on that maybe around the Gen Con area, I suspect. Okay, right. Very quickly, channel shout-out. Not going to spend too long on these shout-outs now, but uh, I'm going to highlight Spencer from the Lighting Up Initiative today for hashtag support small creators. Spencer and I are going to be talking about our top five disappointing games uh, come 22nd of May on live stream, so by all means, come and check that out. But Spencer is a good funny guy, really friendly. He does a lot of various content on his channel. Uh, live playthroughs are quite common. Kickstarter previews, the odd board game review. Uh, I believe he's sponsored by Game Toppers, which is, as sponsors go, pretty nice one to get sponsored by. I mean, if Geekers and Tables want to sponsor me, I'm not going to complain. You know, you know what I'm saying. But there's a few little uh, parodies that he's done and basically a, a few other videos like lists like, you know, every pandemic ranked. And so actually that pandemic ranked one was quite an interesting one, actually, to see what he thought of all the pandemic games, because slightly uh, more different to what I would probably do. And like weird little ones like, you know, can you play eight minute empire in eight minutes? Maybe if you're really quick, but would you want to play eight minute empire for any minutes? It's boring and horrible. But as I say, quite a few and certainly most of his videos, 100 views, 400 views, 130. How on earth he got 19,000 views for the Sleeping Gods review? I have no idea. I think he must have just got it so far. I think he got it so far in advance of everyone else that he was the only person to have reviewed it. And it shows. I mean, he got it out. He got it out when the buzz was there. And deservedly so, he got a ton of views for it. So, you know, fair dues. You obviously, uh, you won the internet at that time, mate. But yeah, the Lighting Up Initiative. It's a cool channel. I like the logo with the uh, all the pieces surrounding a little campfire. I think that's really cool, actually. Although I'd be a bit worried about the uh, playing card sitting next to a fire, honestly. I mean, surely that's got to be like a phobia for that thing, you know, sitting next to a fire. But I digress. The channel was cool. Just under 2,000 subscribers. Let's see if we can push that to 2,000 subs by, you know, by the end of the month at least. If not by uh, the end of next week, that would be really nice. And hashtag support small creators. But if you want to see him in action, wait for our live stream on the 22nd of May or go check out his content. Okay, so the topic of the day. Now, this one is an interesting one here. Basically, I asked my Patreons to come up with Patreon topics, uh, sorry, with podcast topics, and, uh, you know, they've come up with some really good ideas. But one of my Patreons has highlighted a question that was asked by uh, Miss Kelly White. Uh, uh, yeah, Kelly, was it? Yeah, Kelly White, looking at my notes here, um, in the board game group. So, you know, shout out to you. Hello, Kelly. Um, but you apparently asked a question in the board game group about expansions. So whether she should get expansions or get new games. And I'm focusing a lot more on expansions at the moment on this channel because, I mean, you know I've done the Branching Claw uh, Beyond the Base game recently. I've got that whole series, Beyond the Base game. And the first top 10 list that I'm going to bring back soon is probably going to be top 10 essential expansions. So I'm definitely on a bit of a kick when it comes to expansions lately because I don't think other channels comment very much on expansions and they really, really ought to because expansions can be really good. But... In terms of that question, though, should you buy expansions or get more games? That kind of depends, really. I mean, obviously, if you buy more games, you'll have a bigger variety in your collection. But if you buy expansions to the games you like, then you're not going to have much variety of games, uh, different games, but at least the game you have will probably never get dull for you. It's going to depend really on whether you're more of a variety as the spice of life type person like me or whether you're like, you know what, I just want to find five games that I'll play over and over again and get really good at them and really get to grips with them. Now, 
There's a lot of different types of expansions though, and some of them are essential, some of them are lead to bloat, uh, some of them are campaign driven, so you've also got to bear that in mind. From my personal experience, the worst thing I can think of when it comes to buying expansions is you bloat the game too much. And some of my games on my shelf are a little bit problematic for that reason. You know, like I've, some games I have not played in ages because I bloated the game to heaven and back with expansions. The worst uh, offender is Marvel Legendary. Marvel Legendary, the deck building card game uh, from Upper Deck, Really cool game, I like it, but it's got a long setup. And of course, I bought way too many expansions for it. It's all in a big crate above my head. And I don't feel like getting it out very much because of the sheer amount of content. I'm never gonna play it all. It's a lot to sift through to set up. And that's caused a bit of a problem because it's alienated a game that I used to play a lot to a game I haven't played in over at least a couple of years. It's a uh, it's just sitting there, but because it's in a crate, I can't sell it because it's combined with my other legendary games as well, which don't have as much bloat. I could play the Alien and Predator one, I guess. And to be fair, I prefer the Alien and Predator one to the Marvel one. But yeah, I haven't played Marvel Legendary in so long. They need to streamline that setup process. Oh, I get my mint tea here. A couple of goals. Ah, keep that up. So yeah, bloat can be a problem and I'm finding that a lot with some expansions that I've been buying in general. I'm starting to get a little bit more, shall we say, uh, cautious about expansions. Like for example, the newest one that's causing me a bit of distress, not distress, that's the wrong word, uh, consideration maybe, is Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan has already had two expansions. It's had the uh, Jurassic... Uh, pre-classic period or whatever they've got stupid names these ones and the shadows of or whatever it's like stupid names these things why can't you name things that we can pronounce but i've already got those two and i use one of the expansions quite regularly the other one hit and miss but now they've just released expansion period seriously bad names but now i don't know whether i should buy this there's quite a lot of content in there like you've got different powers you've got revised boards a new wild resource uh, new starting setup tiles, new like scoring opportunities. They've revamped the, uh, what do you call it, the palace tile board, you know, the first one that you go over and start on. And they've even got like a little side mini map of like conquering other regions. And it's just like, how much more bloat does this game need? The game is already good. It's on my shelf, nine out of 10, I love it. But it's got enough content in it to begin with. Does it really need any more? And I'm hesitant to get this latest expansion because I'm just like, Seriously, I don't need all of this. But there's a couple of bits in it that I'm like, that's pretty good. But then there's a couple of bits in it, like that mini map thing, where I'm like, I'm not going to care about using that. Who's going to teach it with that mini map, like conquering other regions? You know, you can have too much of a good thing and you can bloat these things to high heaven. Apparently, there's something in it that fixes the solo mode, but frankly, I haven't played the solo mode enough to actually notice and exploit. So honestly, I couldn't really care less. So you know, eventually you're going to have to think, I would rather spend the money I would spend on this on a new game. You know, I'll buy a copy of 13 Clues instead of buying this particular expansion. It would do me nicely there. Um, another one, uh, Cosmic Encounter is another example. You know, you buy all the aliens and that. You will never use every single alien in that set, but you will certainly have way too much content if you do what I did and buy too many aliens. Granted, 
I still play the game. I'm going to bring it out soon after COVID uh, hits, uh, uh, finishes. But yeah, you can buy loads of aliens, loads of new decks, loads of those cards, the uh, rewards deck, the hazard deck. And it's like, yeah, does Cosmic Encounter really need to be this bloated with stuff? Probably not. And of course, who can forget the worst offender for bloat? Arkham Horror. Yes, Arkham Horror. Oh my word. I'm not talking about the card game, although I've got a lot of that on the system. No, I'm talking about Arkham Horror 2nd Edition, Eldritch Horror, Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, whatever you want to do. I mean, I've got everything for Eldritch Horror in a crate up there. And I'm like, yeah, really? Should I have bought that much for Eldritch Horror? Maybe that was a little bit too much. And now Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, which is on my shelf... There's another box for it under Dark Waves. They've announced another one uh, with the Shadow Twilight Lodge or whatever it's called. Um, I forget what it is. Uh, and again, do I need another box set? I don't play Arkham Horror 3rd Edition very much. I've got plenty enough content to keep me happy. Do I really need more variety in this game? So bloat is the first thing I would worry about. You know, whether you're deciding to buy a different game or buy expansions. Uh, on top of that, though, I would also consider whether, well, yeah, some games need the extra variety. That would be the next thing to go on. For example, Star Wars Outer Rim. How many people are constantly shouting at Fantasy Flight to get an expansion to Star Wars Outer Rim? It badly needs more cards because it's getting to the point where you're seeing those cards all the time and you really need more variety. But the question is, with I don't think Corey Konetska um, does anything for Fantasy Flight now. So, uh, you know, what are you going to do with that? I uh, don't know about the other person, Tony. But yeah, I don't know how you're going to be able to expand this game if Corey's got nothing to do with Fantasy Flight anymore. So this could start seeing its way out soon if it can't get the variety it needs. Although, to be honest, I don't play this game that often. So I could probably survive with this for quite a while. But, you know, where I talk about some games having bloat, some games need the variety, like some things need it, you know, come on, hurry up. Spirit Island um, that I had, I mean, I've got both expansions for that. They are by no means essential. I mean, they give you a lot, particularly uh, Jagged Island, um, sorry, Jagged Earth. But the base set already has a lot of variety in it. But I would certainly say that getting a little bit of extra variety in there, particularly with Branching Claw as a starting point, is not a bad way to go. Or skipping ahead to Jagged Earth if you really want to up the variety count. But it's not like the game was getting dull and docile with the stuff that's in the base game. There's already a lot there. Okay. And then, but let's like defend expansions a bit more. Uh, so campaigns. Let's say you've played the base game for a while. You've kind of done everything you need to do in it. And then they release a campaign expansion. One that gives more modules, but or just gives you a story that you can play multiple games through. And then by the end of it, you might not necessarily play the campaign again. That could be a good way to go if you just want to get more ideas of what to do. So two examples I can think of that. Uh, first off, you have Scythe Fenris. Scythe Fenris was a modular expansion where you essentially, like, you could, you could cannibalize it and just add it to your game if you wanted with all this stuff that, to be honest, makes Scythe really, really good on top of its already awesomeness. But instead... You could play it as a campaign, so I'm not going to spoil, but you basically got eight games where it was eight episodes and the campaign unlocks the modules over the campaign. The story in it is fine. 
It's nothing to write home about, but it's okay. But the stuff that gets unlocked is really cool, and I would want to throw it in most of my games of Scythe with people who know what they're doing in Scythe. So, but that's a good way if you think that you've played Scythe to death and it's like, I need something a little bit extra just to beef it up. Well, now you've got a reason to play it eight more times. And then once you've finished it, you've got the modules that you can add to beef up your game. So suddenly Scythe's got a new lease of life with all these games played. It's not that you just bought the expansion and then played it a couple more times. No, you bought the expansion and played it eight more times. Another good example that I raved about in our Beyond the, Gase, um, Beyond the Base game review was Days of the Siege. This is a campaign expansion for this war of mine. So let's say that you didn't even buy the first expansion, Haunted uh, City or whatever it is, uh, Ruined City. Uh, it's, it's an okay expansion. It's got some cool scenarios in it. But other than that, I don't particularly like the farmers. I don't like the sewer module in it. So you could skip it if you want. But Days of the Siege... <laughs> released in 2020 really i could have sworn i saw it in essen 2019 but i digress but this is a free act campaign for this war of mine so if you've been playing the base game with this war of mine you've started getting good at it <laughs> how can you get good at it it's pretty tough um and you want to you know do some more stuff with it then i highly recommend this campaign because this campaign is free games free games of days of the siege but it's got such a good story and so much replay value with the choices you make that this isn't just play it three more times. This is play it three more times, then play it another three times, then play it another three times. You would be surprised how much stuff you miss out when you go through the campaign. You can do two of the games of, that you play have got A and B depending on what decision you made in the previous act. It really is one of the best replay value campaigns I've seen for that and only three games. So it's not like you have to commit yourself to a like 20 weeks worth of games like a Pandemic Legacy or anything like that. You can just do free sessions, free games, boom, done. And then you can rinse, repeat or take a break. Really, really good expansion, this one. I highly recommend it if you are a fan of this war of mine and you want to beef that up. But this is what I'm getting at. Campaigns can be really good expansions to get. It makes you play the game more and more and appreciate it more without necessarily adding bloat. You could separate the campaign stuff from the main game and you don't have to feel like, oh, the setup's going to be a pain or anything. No, it's like, are we doing a campaign? No? All right. Just move it to the side, play the normal game. Whereas most expansions, once you've got it in the box, it's hard to separate it all out. And similar to that, actually, storage. Storage is the problem with expansions. I had Spirit Island on my shelf. One box, and that's all it was. Problem is, I now have Jagged Earth. Jagged Earth comes in its own big box. You can't fit everything in one box of Spirit Island, which means Spirit Island now has two boxes I've got to fit on my shelf. And because I'm in a one-in, one-out session, it means that by adding an extra box for Spirit Island, I now have to think about getting rid of another game because I've expanded Spirit Island to the point where it needs more storage. So you, you've bought something, that is actually removed a game from your collection because you're expanding one you already own. Is that a good thing? I don't know. It's hard to say. But certainly I think since I did my Shelf by Shelf series, which I think I had just over 200 games, I wouldn't be surprised if that was slightly lower now because I have expanded a few games to the point where others have had to leave the collection. Definitely something to be concerned about. And I mentioned that uh, expansion period one earlier, Tale to Huacom. 
I can just about fit the other two expansions in the base box. Just. Good luck trying to fit the new one in there, no. No, you're going to need a second box. Do I want to have additional storage space and possibly remove another game of the collection for some modules that I would barely use in Teotihuacan? Probably not. In fact, I don't think I'm going to buy this expansion mainly for that reason. But you've got to bear in mind storage when you buy expansions because there's no guarantee you will fit it all in the original box. If you can, and you don't think it's going to bloat the game, then do so. I'd say it's a pretty good deal. But a lot of the times I can think of games are taking up a lot of space. You know, Catan, Seafarers and all that. Need a second box. Uh, what other examples have I got here? Let's have a look. Uh, let's see. Seven Wonders originally had a bunch of boxes, but now I condensed it into one. Caverna. A uh, tiny little box, but it's still another box for Forgotten Folk. Uh, Baron Park, the Bad News Bears expansion. You can't fit that on a, uh, you know, in there. You've got to have two bits for it. Dinosaur Island and Dinosaur Totally Liquid. I mean, you can't, you know, do anything about those. You need two boxes without fail. Uh, Robertson Crusoe. Good luck trying to fit the treasure chest stuff in the main box when you've got Mystery Tales as well. Arkham Horror, two boxes. Uh, I've uh, Lord of the Rings. I've only just managed to fit that into one box, and that's with an insert. Uh, Tainted Grail. How many boxes did that have? Uh, Days of the Siege has to be in a separate box to this war of mine. It's on a separate shelf for some reason because I couldn't fit it in there. So yeah, you gotta think about your storage capabilities with these expansions. Sometimes it won't always fit hunky dory in the original box because people love to shove a ton of stuff in their expansions. And the final bit before I wrap up this uh, segment is to mention expansions that fix the base game. Sometimes it's good to get the expansion rather than a new game if there's something in the base game that really could use a fix. Like you're thinking, well, you know, this base game's fine, but this kind of annoys me. So get the expansion, fix it. Rather than get a new game, let's make that one game that you would like other than this bit and fix that bit. Three that I will come to mind immediately, Abyss Leviathan. I think Abyss is a fantastic game already, but I hate that monster track. The monster track in Base Abyss is a waste of space. It's just, it barely levels up. It's not that interesting. It's just a track. Abyss Leviathan, though, replaces the track with the Leviathan mechanic. It's easy to teach with the base game. I mean, I teach Abyss with all the trimmings and it goes over well with gamers. But replacing the monster track with these Leviathans makes the game so much better. It is one of those essential expansions that I think you need in order to really make Abyss shine. Kraken is also fantastic, but not essential. Leviathan, though, I think is one of those essential expansions that you need. Um, sorry, a little cough there. Uh, I haven't played this one, but here's another example. Mid uh, Champions of Midgard. I'm not the biggest fan of Champions of Midgard, mainly because I think that the dice luck in that game can screw you over big time. Apparently, everybody is telling me that I have to play Champions of Midgard Valhalla expansion because with those dice that you lose, you put them in Valhalla and you get to do lots of cool stuff. I've no idea what else you do. Do they get you bonuses? Do they get you points? Do you do other things? It looks cool. I know a friend who has this with the expansions. I have yet to find time to get him to a situation where I can actually play it with him so that they can show me what on earth goes on in Valhalla. But by the sound of it, it will fix the biggest problem that the game has. As much as it's got its fans, even the diehard fans of this game tell me that, yes, we agree, Midgard is not perfect at the base game, 
play it with Valhalla and you will have the best of times. You could be entirely right and I do want to try it out. But there's an example. Maybe the base game wasn't good enough for you and you need it fixing. And finally, do I have another one on the list? Uh, yes, uh, Zaya, Legends of Adrift. Zaya on its own is fine, but the game is really random. And uh, it, I need to actually do a Beyond the Base game review of Ember, Embers of a Forsaken Star at some point. But the Embers of a Forsaken Star is a solo expansion for the game. Although you can use a lot of it in the multiplayer as well. But you can't play solo unless you get this expansion. Hence, I bought it at the time I purchased it. And yep, certainly wasn't the cheapest purchase in a while. But as well as giving me a solo mode, which face it, let's face facts. This game is way too long with far too much downtime when you play with anything above two players. So you need solo mode. I don't care about the campaign in this, but you certainly do need the solo mode in general. New ships, new mission cards, new sector tiles. Cool, more variety. It's always a good thing. But this also fixes some of the randomness issues that the game has because you could get engines that give you like, you know, D12 speed and all that. But if I roll D12 and get a one, that's a pretty lame engine. And somebody who rolls a 12 can do so much more than me. So what you end up doing is you have these mods that you can get on your ship, which add to the value. So to mitigate the luck, you buy the mods so that when you do activate your engine, you get an extra plus two, plus three, plus four to your roll. Cool. So the minimum value is a lot better, even though you can't go above your max. So rather than risking one to 12, I'm only likely to get between five to 12. Okay, not too bad. And mods are easy to get and they're pretty cheap in the game. So, you know, I would say that the expansion fixes one of the biggest luck problems that the base game has. I mean, there's still a lot of luck even when you do throw this expansion in, but having those mods is kind of essential to this game, really. I don't think I would want to play the game without this Embers expansion thrown in. That being said, law of rules, it's not the easiest thing to learn with the expansion on top. It's uh, ooh, pretty mental, to say the least. So, yeah. So, overall, you know, should I buy expansions? Should I just get more games? A lot of it is down to your preference. Um, I would say my preference is to have uh, more games overall, like more selection of what to pick, because you might have a game that's expanded, but if somebody doesn't like the game, then it doesn't matter how much you expand it, with the exception of those essential fixes, chances are it's not going to bring them back. Having a nice variety of choice, I think, is my preferred way to do things. But some games that you really love, and they really ideally should be games you really love. I don't think you should expand any game that you are not likely to want to play fairly often. At least if you can help it. Now, I have uh, gone against that rule on some occasions. But I'm getting a little bit more wiser these days. <laughs> the more I get into games. So, I certainly feel that your expansions should be restricted to the games you adore. Like the ones you are going to play and play and play. Now, you know, you also have to consider storage. You've got to consider bloat, setup, ease of play, that kind of thing, you know, where bloat makes the game darn impossible to play anymore. Uh, campaigns are very good uh, expansions to get. Like, you know, I don't want to add too much bloat to the game. I want to just keep it separate. Cool. Buy a campaign expansion. I can play the campaign all the way through, but I can keep it separate when I'm teaching new players. Fantastic. So quite a little few things there. And certainly I intend to do a top 10 essential expansions list at some point because... Top 10 expansions is 
slightly different. That's just top 10 expansions I'd love to have. I mean, Jagged Earth would technically be one of my top 10 expansions, but Essential? No. It just adds a lot of cool stuff that I like, but it's not essential. I would never tell people to buy Jagged Earth the second they buy Spirit Island. I mean, that's just bad. So, yeah, there is that. But, yeah, overall, that's my thoughts on the issue. And then, finally, before I wrap things up, uh, what is coming on the channel? Well, as I mentioned, Jagged Earth. There's going to be a Beyond the Base game uh, video for Jagged Earth. I need to record that one and get that one out. But, yes, that will be the next one in that series. Uh, I also have a massive compilation of reviews to do. Um, I, I don't think I've got time to do a detail review for all of these. I think I'm going to have to do one big blitz for everything. And I've got Tawantin Suyu. I have got Mandala Stones. I've got Chai for Two, which is technically a Kickstarter preview, but it's a final. It's pretty much a final copy, so it's as near ready as it's going to be. I've got Rival Networks, the two-player standalone version. And if I get time to test it, possibly this game called uh, Danea or something like that it's new by blam games i barely know much about it i haven't had a chance to test it is there anything else new oh yeah and the two new escape tales i've got the low memory or whatever it's called and the children of underwood or whatever it's called the, the newest one in that series i'm going to talk briefly about those so i haven't got time to do detailed reviews of all of those so it's going to be a case that they will be a big blitz review and finally uh q a yes i mentioned q a i'm going to do one next week probably next Saturday. So by all means, wait for me to put up the thumbnail for that and come along and just say hi, talk to me about anything. Uh, next collaboration will be the uh, top five disappointing games with Lighting Up Initiative, as I said. Uh, so that's going to happen 22nd of May. Next detail review. If I don't do it for Taiwan Tinsuyu, then I don't know what the next detail review will be. It will just be a case of when the next hotness game comes out to uh, Maybe I will keep Tawantin Suyu back and do that as a detail review. We'll have to see. Let me know in the comments what you prefer. Obviously, I've got to think about time and everything. But of course, top 10 lists are coming back. Top 10 essential expansions. I will record that soon and I will get that out as soon as I can because I know you've been crying out for top 10 lists to return and I have not been putting them out because I've been trying too much content. Like I say, check out that live stream video I was talking about earlier because that will reveal all the stuff I'm going to change with my channel and it's a, it's a good stream. It's put me on a good high. So that's it for me. Uh, don't forget to check out the <clears throat> code in the description of all my other videos for the zatu.co.uk website if you want 5% discount on all your games. Perhaps some of the ones I've been talking about today have caught your eye, particularly the expansions. Check out Zatu and try and get 5% discount on there. But until next time, thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you like the new format and the new content that I'm kind of putting into it. This is all to improve the channel for myself and for you as well. Take care. Bye for now. And remember, as always, it's only a game. Take care. Love you all. Have a good rest of your Sunday.